Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Football Frontier, a mini series that is part of Random Ravings. And you gotta love that intro music. I mean, it gets you hyped up, ready for the football season, which will hopefully be here in September, assuming there are no spikes in the coronavirus. Welcome or welcome back to the Football Frontier. I am your host, Caleb. I also, also, I also, what am I talking about? I also host Random Ravings, which if you're subscribed or follow the Football Frontier on really whatever podcast platform you listen on, um, you also get notifications of Random Ravings every Thursday. So this comes out every Monday, this comes this, no, Random Ravings comes out every Thursday, so I hope you listen to both of them. But let's go ahead and get into the news that has happened in college football this week. The big news, I think, is the fact that SEC teams have started practice, they've released a schedule, and they have announced that they are going to allow a certain percentage of fans in the stands. So I'll get into all that and more on this episode of The Football Frontier. And let's roll right into it. But first, I want to follow up on something that I talked about last week. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, go ahead and listen to it. Um... But the Nebraska State Huskers, they they have said, I put a clip in there last week saying their, their head coach, Scott Frost, and a couple of the players announced that um, they are, Nebraska plans to play. See, the problem with that is Nebraska is part of the Big Ten, which has chosen, along with the Pac-12, to postpone their season. So news came out this week about not the Pac-10 or Pac-10, Pac-12 or Big Ten, but the Big 12. They have announced that if it is okay with the Big Ten commissioners, they will allow Nebraska to play with the Big 12. They, the Big 12 has left a week open for multiple teams. I believe 12, 12 maybe 10 out of the 12 teams, I think, in case Nebraska does choose to play with the Big 12. Now, the thing about Scott Frost saying they were planning to play and he wants his kids, uh, the kids as in the players, to be able to play, this was followed up by multiple head coaches such as Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day, head coaches of Michigan and Ohio State. They both said something similar, like they want to let their kids play, because Scott Frost saying what he did in the clip that I played last week, if you want to listen to that, just skip to the last 10 minutes of the episode, I believe, but 
it was kind of a power move on Scott Frost's part because that actually helped Nebraska. It got them into the minds and kind of the eyes of these young high school students who were... Nebraska wasn't even on their mind, but Scott Frost saying he's going to stand up for his players and he's going to let them play if the opportunity does come around. This was kind of a power move by him, so to speak, in the recruiting world. And like I said before, Ryan Day, head coach of Ohio State, and Jim Harbaugh, head coach of Michigan, both said something similar to this because a lot of three- and four-star recruits were like, Oh, Scott Frost, it seems like a really good guy, and he wants what's best for his kids, and if he thought it was to cancel the season and not let them play, he would do that. But here's another thing, referring the big t- referring back to the Big Ten postponing slash canceling their season. When they released that they were going to postpone slash cancel their season, they also said they found some information, say, uh, something related to the coronavirus. Now, there is a heart disease, apparently, that scientists are doing research on to see if it is indeed associated with the coronavirus, but... The thing is, if doctors and scientists at Big Ten schools did find something that would cause them to pull out of the season, referring to the coronavirus, I I feel like they would share that with all the other Power Five conferences and all the other conferences in general. But the Big Ten has not released anything saying, oh, this disease is associated with the coronavirus, which could make things three times or ten times worse if you get the virus. And personally, I think the Big Ten didn't find anything. I think they're just, they didn't want to be the people that were like, oh, we're backing out of the season due to the coronavirus. Now, I understand if they felt like the coronavirus wasn't, wasn't, safe if they felt like the environment with the coronavirus wasn't safe for their players I feel like they shouldn't feel like they need to make something up that they found something related to the coronavirus that's why they're back out of the season just say up front our coaches felt like it wasn't a safe environment with the coronavirus going on for our players don't make up some bull crap about uh, we found something and uh, we are are going to cancel the season on this thing that you found related to the coronavirus, yet you're not releasing it to the rest of the country, or even the NCAA. But, so the SEC, most SEC teams did start practice this past week, and multiple teams are very, very frustrated about who they got added onto their schedule. Because I believe Arkansas, I believe, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, Arkansas and Missouri both basically got dumped on during the rescheduling of the SEC. Because Arkansas got 
got added onto their 10-game conference-only schedule, I believe, Georgia and Florida, arguably the two best teams in the SEC West, the Miz- or not West, East. The Missouri got Alabama and LSU added onto their 10-game schedule, um, who, again, are arguably the best two teams in the SEC West. Now, Alabama got added on... Missouri and Kentucky, I believe. Now, Kentucky, personally, I think they're kind of the dark horse, the the one team everyone's sleeping on in the SEC East because they had a pretty good season last year, and I think that may carry through. Like, their record doesn't show that, but, again, they had a wide receiver as their quarterback last year. So, I think Kentucky's... A team everyone's sleeping on in the SEC. So watch out for them this coming up season. But, so like I said before, most SEC teams have started practice already. Um, Georgia, um, and Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama, Auburn. I'm not sure if the other teams have started um, their practice quite yet, but, so, ticket sales are kind of an interesting thing in this coming up season, because most SEC teams have released that they are going to allow ticket sales to the fans. Most stadiums, such as Alabama Stadium in Georgia, they have agreed that they're only gonna have 20% fan capacity. Now, season pass season pass holders. What is this? An amusement park? <laughs> but season ticket holders, they're gonna kind of get the first come first serve. They get to pick if they want to go to a game and what seat they want because they already have tickets. Um. So, if you're lucky enough to get a ticket to whatever team stadium you want, you could sell it for almost triple the price. Um, because, again, it's only 20% capacity. But this is an interesting thing, I think. Texas A&M is pushing to get uh, 25 to 35% capacity instead of only 20 just because I think they, they're they realizing this, and I'm pretty sure most college football programs will realize this pretty soon, too. But schools with a uh, decent or just a college football, uh, college football team at their campus, they're going to start realizing most of their sport facility payments and the income and stuff is coming from college football. It's probably 30 to 40%, if not more, of a school's athletic program income. So I think Texas A&M is doing the right thing here by trying to see how many more people they can get into their stadium because... It, 
here's here's the thing. I think they maybe should have started a little higher, say thirty five to forty percent, and slowly negotiated it down with the NCAA and the SEC. But starting at twenty five, if the SEC says twenty five, yes, you get you gain a little more than most of the other schools, but that's only about maybe 200 more people. Like, yes, that is a lot of people, but most of the college football stadiums can hold between fifteen and 20,000 people. But another thing is the SEC, um, I think the ACC as well, they're not allowing opposing team fans to purchase tickets. So if you are a say a Clemson fan and you and Clemson was going to play Notre Dame since Notre Dame has joined the SEC not SEC ACC for this season. Let's say Clemson was going to play at Notre Dame. Clemson fans would not be allowed to purchase tickets to go to Notre Dame. Now, there are a few exceptions, such as the Texas and Oklahoma game in the Big 12 and Georgia-Florida game in the SEC, because both of those games are played at neutral sites. Um, Texas-Oklahoma, I, I believe, at the Red River, and then Georgia-Florida at Jacksonville State. Not Jacksonville State. Jacksonville Jaguars, the NFL team. The Georgia and Florida usually play at that stadium. So Georgia and Florida fans say they could. They both team fans could buy tickets to that game, but it may be you need to live within X amount of miles. We'll say two hundred. If you don't live within two hundred miles, if you're a student at UGA and you live in Athens on campus, you're not going to be able to purchase a ticket to go down to Jacksonville. The reason for that being, let's say someone at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, Georgia-Florida game, um, was infected with the coronavirus. Every If everybody is staying everyone going to the game is in a 200-mile proximity, They, the coronavirus isn't getting spread a lot. Granted, it is spreading, but it's not spreading, say, 500 to 700 miles back to Athens or Atlanta. It's staying within those 200 miles. Now... Is it is ten percent of the ticket sales for Florida Georgia gonna be Florida and the other ten Georgia? I'm not really sure because usually it is half and half. Florida fans on one side, Georgia fans on the other. Um, is it gonna be twenty percent capacity? I'm not sure. I think the SEC may try to push up some of the rival in the in conference rivalry games such as. Alabama-Auburn, 
Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Georgia, Georgia, Florida. I believe they may try to push up the fan capacity up to 30% at least because those are high attendance games for both schools. Um, I believe if you go back into the archives of Random Ravings, if you scroll all the way down, you'll find a podcast titled The War for the Okie Finokie War. That that whole episode was dedicated to talking about the Georgia-Florida rivalry. Now, if you listen to that, I forget the exact number I said, but each school gets, I think, about one billion, maybe million, I'm not sure, I'm pretty sure it was billion, worth of dollars from ticket sales to go towards scholarships and other things at the school just in that game. And that's split half and half. Let's say that game made $3 billion. Each school would get $1.5 billion. And that's one game. Each game for these schools are making a little over a million, if not more, depending on who they're playing. So, it, I don't know how much of an income or profit different teams are going to be making if they are only allowed to do 20% capacity at the different stadiums. But the Big Ten is getting a lot of flack from whether you're a fan of the Big Ten or really a fan of just watching football in general, whether it be on Saturdays or Sundays. Um, Justin Fields, a big-name quarterback that goes to Ohio State and plays for Ohio State, and a couple other big-name, big college football names, had started the hashtag, We Wanna Play. I think I mentioned that last week, in last week's episode. Go listen to it if you haven't already. But Justin Fields has said, or I believe there are different coaches who have said they know kids on their team who really want to play, and those kids are not afraid to enter the transfer portal and try to transfer to a team in the Big 12, SEC, or ACC. Now, say Justin Fields transferred back to the SEC, because if you didn't know, he played for Georgia the 2017-2018 season as a backup for Jake Fromm. Now, it'd be a little awkward if he did transfer back to Georgia. I don't think there's any bad blood between the program and Fields, but I think he would be able to start right away at LSU or Alabama, who lost their star quarterbacks in Joe Burrow and Tua Tungaviola to the NFL draft. Whereas if he went to Georgia, that'd be a totally different different story. Because right now, Georgia has a stacked quarterback room. They have six quarterbacks. Jamie Newman, transfer from Wake Forest. Um... I forget the other kid's name, transfer from USC, University of Southern California. But they're they're stacked with in that quarterback room. 
Now, if Justin Fields did transfer, he may be the favorite to get the job, but he would definitely have some competition in Jamie Newman and all those other quarterbacks in that room. Um, but speaking of the transfer portal, way back in winter of 2019, it feels like forever ago, but Cade Mays, an ex-University of Georgia lineman, he transferred to Tennessee. Um, and in quotation marks here, air quotes, um, Cade Mays sued the University of Georgia for being a toxic environment. And this case has been brought back up. Again, in quotation marks, Cade Mays' attorney has said Georgia is a toxic environment for faculty, faculty, staff, students, everyone attending there, especially in the football program. Now, can any of this be proven? Not really. That Georgia is a toxic environment. Does this hurt Georgia recruiting-wise? Most definitely. Because it used to be in-person visits on campus for different high school students. But since the pandemic, it's being kind of virtual. They're talking back and forth with the coach and players. Just to kind of see what goes on at the area, the... Um, practice fields and stuff. Now, again, in quotation marks, Cade May's attorney, I guess he could bring up some security footage from the House of Pain, the UGA practice facility. Pain spelled P-A-Y-N-E. Um, that is the last name of a player who attended Georgia, not P-A-I-N, not the painful house. Um, but a lot of people, I also believe this, um, Cade May's dad, I think, made Cade transfer to Tennessee because, if you didn't know, during a visit to UGA, Cade, Mr. Mays, Cade's father, um, got his pinky or ring finger cut off either in a door or in a chair somehow. Um, so a lot of people think that's why Cade transferred so his father could sue UGA. Because Cade was having a phenomenal career at UGA. I believe he was a starter. There's really no reason. He was either second string or a starter. This year he would have started, no doubt about it. I've I think that his dad made him come out, but when this episode comes out, I'm going to post on Instagram a picture of Cade May's dad holding his hand um, in the Tennessee symbol with a pinky cut off. It's hilarious if you're a Georgia fan, or really if you're a fan of college football and you think that Cade May's dad made Cade leave UGA. I'm not sure if you guys just heard thunder then, but it was really loud. But um, let me know your thoughts on the Cade May story by either leaving a voice message by hitting the anchor link in the description or 
texting, or emailing randomravingspodcast at gmail.com. And I'll be seeing you this Thursday for another episode of Random Ravings and next Tuesday for another episode of The Football Frontier. Make sure to subscribe or follow on whatever you're listening on and share this podcast with another football fan. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and subscribe. And make sure you follow the podcast at randomravings underscore pod on Instagram.